0: Do you have a submissive spirit? See, we need to understand that God, he has loved us perfectly. God needs nothing. God never lacks. God never has a bad day. God never needs anything from us. And that has significant implications because everything that God commands us to do it is for us it is to be a blessing to someone else and when we submit to God as i said earlier good things happen good things to those that we love good things to those that we may not know intimately and good things even return back to us and therefore If we're going to be faithful, we need to learn how to submit. Take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 15. The book of Matthew and chapter 15. Now, I made mention to you that we are going to study this passage of Scripture that deals with a Canaanite woman. In the Old Testament, there was Rahab an epitome of faithfulness. And now in the New Testament, we don't know her name, but she as well is a godly example of what it means to trust, submit, depend upon God. And what so is tragic is that many times people look at the Scripture. And they see things that God never intended from it. Matthew chapter 15, look with me, to verse 21. And Yeshua went out from there. Now, that first word for going out in the text is a word that frequently relates to redemption. It is the same word, this is of course Greek, but it is a word that the term exodus is derived from. And whenever we talk about the exodus from Egypt, or when we speak about Passover, those two terms give a biblical passage, a redemptive context. And when it says that Yeshua went out from there, meaning from the land of Galilee, He went out for the purpose of redemption. You see that he went to specifically a place. It says he withdrew, meaning he made a change. He withdrew into the parts. That's literally what it says, the parts of Tyre and Sidon. Now, we all know that he has left the borders of Israel And he's gone into Lebanon. What many people don't know is that these two communities, Tyre and Sidon, were full of Jewish inhabitants. For example, many of you have been to Israel. You may go to a place called Bethsaida. And there they'll have a citation. And it speaks about the wealth of the Jewish people. Not only a Bethsaida, but similar to those that were in Tyre and Sidon. These places were affluent, but they were in need of redemption. You can be in abundance of this world, but be empty when it comes to spirituality. So Yeshua, not by accident, but by design, wanted to take that message of redemption. To these locations, Tyre and Sidon. Verse 22. And behold. Now, we made mention of this word earlier. It's a word that informs the reader. Something significant is going to take place or be revealed. And here, what is significant, what is surprising is this. He, as we see in a few minutes, his emphasis is not upon the Gentiles. His emphasis is upon the lost sheep of Israel. And he goes to these communities that the Talmud tells us are full of Jewish individuals that are remote from the promises because they're not living in the promised land. They're living in exile They're doing well. Life is good for them, but spiritually, they are not where they need to be. So we see, instead of him speaking to his Jewish counterparts, it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman. Now, when we look at the word Canaanite in Hebrew, the verb that it's derived from, means what we've said. To submit. And that's what God calls all of humanity to do. Now, the question is this. When we look at the Canaanites in the Old Testament, they were submissive people. They were not living nor behaving as their identity should inform them. And guess what? We may be similar to that. Because we're called a royal priesthood. We are the disciples of Messiah. We have become part of that holy nation. And ask yourself, does your life, does your behavior, your actions, your thoughts, your words, do they reflect your identity as part of God's family? So we see this Canaanite woman. And it says that she was from The regions of there. Now, twice, we see a word that emphasizes this location. And as a Jew, when we look at this, I would summarize it with one word. Exile. Where he went to was out of the promised land into what's known as exile. And many people, many people today are in a type of spiritual exile. You can be saved, but you can be distant from God's purposes and plan. And if you're wise, what you're going to be asking yourself is this. How can I get to where God wants me to be? How can I begin to behave and do and think according to what God has commanded me to do? And it all begins with submissiveness. You will never, ever regret submitting to God. Only good things come from this. So, behold, there is that Canaanite woman from the same regions. And she, and notice this, she went forth. Now, what you may not know is, when we look at the original language, it is the same Greek word. There is in this passage a, a connection between Yeshua, it says, he went forth, he went out, and guess what? This woman is doing the same thing, the same root verb is used. In other words, what he is up to and what she is up to is the same thing. She wants Redemption. And we're going to see that undeniably because this woman understands the benefits of redemption. Now, in the passage, what we're going to see is this she is going to be challenged. In other words, she is going to be tested. And the test is not so much for her benefit, but whatever we read in the scripture is for the benefit of. Of you and me, the reader. It is written in a way in order to bring a change in our life. So the reader understands the revelation of God. So she also goes out just like he goes out. And notice, she cried out to him. Now, grammar is important. If you look at this verb for crying out, it is in the Greek imperfect. You have to be careful. Because there's no relationship in meaning between the Hebrew imperfect and the Greek imperfect. Same word, but grammatically very different. By and large, when we encounter a verb that is in the Greek imperfect, we should anticipate See, the Greek imperfect basically announces a change is coming. What is this woman doing? She is crying out to him. She has a problem. A problem that is destroying her life. She is sad. She is dejected because of this problem. And she's doing the right thing. She is turning her problem over to Messiah. A good thing to do. And the reader is being told, there's going to be a change. We don't see it immediately, but we will before we conclude our study. So she was crying out to him. And notice what she was saying. Pretty good stuff. Here is this Canaanite woman, but... She recognizes him as Lord and also the son of David. Now, I would suggest to you that this term Lord means that she recognizes his divinity. That he's not just a mere man, he's fully man, but he is fully God. She understands his identity. And that fact is going to bring great change into her life. And furthermore, she understands that he is the Messiah. Whenever that term son of David appears, it is a messianic understanding. Now, Judaism teaches two messiahs. We know that there's only how many? One. But this one messiah has two distinct purposes. He comes the first time as what is called the son of Joseph. He's going to suffer. He's that suffering servant. But when he comes back, he is coming as the son of David, this king that is going to conquer evil and establish king going to establish a kingdom. So she says to him, "Have mercy upon me." Lord, Son of David. What is she asking for? Mercy. Now let's pause for a moment. When was the last time, and one of the things that is so wise to do, is to keep a, a prayer journal. And go back and see what you're praying for. And if you do keep a prayer junior, journal, you should ask yourself, when was the last time that I beseech God? interceded in my own behalf, asking God to be merciful. You are desperately, I am in desperate need of God's mercy. You'll never know who you are until you recognize your great need for the mercy of God. Now, what's interesting to me here is that she seeks mercy for herself, being merciful to me. But she doesn't want any personal benefit. It's not about her. It is about her daughter. She is interceding. She is seeking mercy on behalf of another. Now, when I look at that, I see kind of a Torah expression because the Apostle Paul tells me, and Yeshua taught this, that that the great commandment is, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second one is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in Galatians, all the law in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And she is displaying that. She's not beseeching for her. But she says, my daughter. And notice this next word. Here again. It is the word kakos. Kakos comes from the Greek word which means evil. And it is a counterpart from the Hebrew word ra. And I'm amazed at how many times that translators will not translate it this way. Doesn't mean something that's, that's simply bad. It means evil. What's evil? Outside or against the will of God. This woman is making a statement. God, it is not Proper. It is not your will. Something's going on here against your order, your plans, your purposes. Because my daughter is evilly against your will. Evilly demonized. You might say possessed by a demon. That is not what God desires. This is not according to the order that God has set up. And we see, do we not? How many times in the gospel that Messiah cast out demons? And even the demons know that they are going to be defeated by him. Their only thought is this. Well, that's when? In the future. There's a lot of people that live their life with, well, that'll happen later on. Not today. And therefore, they take comfort in that. Don't do that. Because your eternity is going to come quicker than you think. Meaning this. Your day of death. We never know when it might happen. It may come surprisingly quick in your life. And she says here, have mercy upon me, Lord, son of David. She cries out to him saying this. For my daughter is... Evilly, meaning she's suffering bitterly because she is being possessed by a demon. Verse 23. Now, we know many times in the scripture people bring a child, bring someone who is possessed by a demon, and Messiah heals, exercises, puts things in order. Everyone's amazed, they praise God, and we move on to the next passage. Now, that's what we would expect. We have that word, behold, something significant is going to happen. But notice his response. And again, nothing happens in the Bible by chance. It's all for you. It's all for the reader. It says here, verse 23. But, and it's emphatic. Your Bible may say, but he doesn't say he. It's the definite article, the, meaning the one. And the fact that the word he, that pronoun, does not appear, but the definite article turns this passage into that which is emphatic. And what is emphasized, emphatic, emphasize? His response or the lack thereof. What does he do? Verse 23. But The one, meaning Yeshua himself, did not answer her a word. Now think about this. A Canaanite woman, she's recognizing his divinity. She knows he's the Messiah. She is pleading for what? Mercy. And all she wants is, and she recognizes this isn't right. This is not the order that God has established. It was sin, human sin, that brought these demons into this world. Gave them their limited authority that they have. And this is all happening. And she says, but how fortunate I am. Because I am in your presence. You are Lord. You are Messiah. And you can show me mercy. And heal my daughter. Pretty good things right? And he was silent. He was simply non-responsive to her. He did not say a word. And what happens? Well the disciples. His disciples turn. And ask him. It's a word for beseeching. It's a strong word. What do his disciples do? They beseech him. Saying, Send her away because she cries out after us. Apparently, when Yeshua was silent, non responsive, this woman began to beseech the disciples to intercede in her behalf, and they weren't interested in doing that. After all, who is she? A Canaanite woman. So she pleads, she's got good theology. She is seeking mercy. He is the source of God's mercy, but she gets nothing from him. Verse 24. He answers and said, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, there you have it. She's a Canaanite. They were enemies of Israel. They were thwarting God's purpose. They stood against the plans of God. And he's saying, Don't you understand? I am only sent to and for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, we could think of this as most commentators do, meaning, go away. Hit the road. I'm not for you. I'm not interested for you. But anyone, and many commentators see it this way, had never studied what we did earlier today. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. What is God's desire? His desire is to create a nation, make that nation great, bless that nation. So in the end, all the families of the earth. We have a mother and daughter. Isn't that a family? She is not excluded. She may not be Jewish. But she is part of the nations. And God's purpose and plan for establishing Israel. Is for her to be blessed. So he says to her. I was only sent. For the lost sheep. Of the house of Of Israel. Well, some people might be offended by that. Some people might get angry about that statement. What? I'm not Jewish, so you don't care about me? My little girl's not important to you? This is not what he's saying at all. She is being tested for whose benefit? For you and mine. That we understand who Messiah is, that he functions according to. The covenantal obligations of God. He doesn't do anything on his own. The scripture says what he hears, he does. He is totally submissive. Here's the problem. If he's submissive to his father and he's the son of God, how much more so should you and me? He did nothing. Read John's gospel. He does nothing of his own initiative. And look at verse 25 first word, but. Maybe your Bible doesn't translate it that way. But it is a conjunction of contrast. He's saying, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But, but she comes. And what does she do? Worships him. What he has said about only being sent to the lost sheep. Of the house of Israel. That doesn't bother her. That doesn't cause her to walk away. When, he hears, when she hears that. She comes before him. And worships him. Why? That's a good plan. God's got a good plan. He has chosen Israel. Specifically that land. To bring the people in there. In order that his covenantal promises. Can be experienced by who? All people, every nation, every language, every culture. No one, no one, no one is excluded, but there is God's order. And here's the challenge. Are you willing to agree with God's order or are you so prideful that you think your order, your way is better than God's? This is the problem today. We need to accept what God says. He gets it right. We don't. I don't. You don't. We need to submit to his plans and purposes. So she comes. And what does she do? She worships him saying again, Lord. I'm just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're still my Lord. That fact does not exclude me and my understanding of who you are or changes anything in regard to what i have asked you she comes and worships and says lord i love this she says from be merciful to me she simply says what help me now again nothing changes what she hears his lack of response. His sentence. I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. None of that changes her petition. None of that changes her expectations. Why? Because she understands. God's covenant. God desires through Israel. To bring blessing. Upon all the families of the earth. Verse 26. But. But. He said, it is not good. There's that word, the opposite of what we see in verse 22. There's a the word kakos, evil, that which is against God's will. And then there's the word kalos. Kalos is the Greek word good, meaning in accordance with God's will. And Yeshua says, it is not good to take the bread of the children and cast it before the dogs. Now, again, many people hear that and they think that, that Messiah is calling Gentiles dogs. No, no, no. When we look at this, he's not teaching about Gentiles or dogs, he's teaching about order. God's order is good. And you will never be blessed until you submit to God's order. He has a reason, a perfect reason, a justifiable reason for everything that he does. So this woman has passed the first test. She says, I know you're just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's okay. Because that doesn't eliminate me. But you're a Canaanite. Still, it doesn't eliminate me because God wants to work with Israel to bless all the nations. I'm still here. I'm not going around. Your obligation to help me is not removed because you were just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So Messiah still testing. And again, not for her, but for you and me. He says, It is not good, it's not God's will to take the bread of the children and cast it to the dogs. Now here again, we have to be diligent in regards to God's word. And you will find in the New Testament, there are two different words for dogs. There are those dogs that live in the garbage dumps. Near what's called Gehenem, which is that that garbage dump that burns all the time outside of Jerusalem. And not just there, but in any city. Dogs would live there. They would, would roam in packs. They would become hungry and they could be very aggressive and dangerous. That's one word for dog. This is not that word. This is a word that speaks of a dog that we would call a pet part of the family and therefore when he says it's not good to take the children's bread that word artos is many times used as a colloquium for food it's not good to take the children's food and give it to the dogs well here again what are her thoughts about that does she get offended does she get angry no what does she say Verse 27, but always, always in contrast to what we would think. But she said, yes, Lord, what wisdom, what an example for us. Whatever God says, if you want to respond properly, just say what? Yes. How can we understand that? Simply agree with God. It is always going to go well for you in the end when you agree with God. She just says, what an example. Yes, Lord. For even the dogs, and here again, this, this little dogs, these lap dogs, these pets. Even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the table of their master's. Now, realize, go back 2,000 years. There's no dog food. What did dog eat? The leftovers. Whatever the children, the family did not eat, it's leftover. The dogs get it. So it's not saying dogs starve, but dogs eat at the proper time. There is an order for eating. And she's not trying to be disagreeable with the order Now, let's pause for a moment. Today is Shabbat. What a special day. What a a great day. Now, next week, I'm going to be in Florida. And I'm going there because of a death of a dear friend for her memorial service, which will be a week from tomorrow. But one week from today on Shabbat, I'm going to a congregation that I know very well. And it's not in a house like this. It is in a rather simple home. And the residents of that home have two dogs. And these two dogs, more than you do, these two dogs love the Sabbath day. And they know when the Sabbath day is. I'm telling you the truth. You can go with me, Any day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, any day, and you knock on that door and you go in these little two dogs. They're little, but they're aggressive and they don't like guests. But on Shabbat, everything's different. Everything's different. Why? Because on Shabbat, approximately 40 to 50 people come to this house and no one comes empty handed. not talking about money. They all bring food. And no one knows that better than who? Now, the dogs. None of that food is for the dogs. All the food is for the people, right? But you know what happens. The service is over. And when the service is over, the dogs, they know the songs. They know when Shabbat is coming to an end. I'm serious. They come out when they hear Adon Olam and they're there waiting because they know what comes next. There's the motzi blessing and then we eat. And even though none of that food is for the dog, we all sit down and they come up. And you know what everyone does, right? Here a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. There's two dogs. There's 50 people. Everyone gives them a couple bites. True story. I was there several years ago, and we were finished eating. The two dogs were in the corner, and there was a piece of meat on the floor. I picked it up. I threw it towards the dog. Bounced, bounce, right maybe this far away from the nose of a dog. What do you think the dog did? Nothing. Why? He was full. He couldn't eat another bite. Now you see why they love Shabbat so much. Now, Shabbat, God says... The Sabbath, you know, when we look at it, we see that God, the first Sabbath, you don't have to go very far in the scripture, right? Genesis chapter what? Two. That's when we encounter Shabbat. And it was for humanity. Later on, we see that Israel was called in a unique way. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel. But not just for Israel, for the world. Because the Sabbath relates to the kingdom. And these dogs, they love Shabbat because they get what? Blessed. They get satisfied. So when Messiah says to this woman, it is not good. It is not God's will to take the food of the children and cast it to the the little dogs. She says, yes, Lord, but. Even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the table of their masters. Verse 28, the last verse. Then Yeshua answers her and said. You notice the change? When she's agreeing with him and the order that God has established, he begins and he says to her, that's emphatic, O oh, woman. Now, that letter, the, the Omega, is emphasizing his response, his words to her. He says, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Now, what we see here is this faith caused her. To agree with God. Her faith being great. And unique. Caused her to understand. And embrace. God's order. She knew that God's covenant with Israel. Would in the end. In that order. Be a blessing for her. And the text says it. Verse 28. O woman. Great is your faith. I wonder, when God looks to you, does he see great faith? What does that mean? Are you agreeing with him? If you look at a lot of the popular teaching today, it's all about how to get God to agree with you. That's dangerous. That's not pleasing to God, and that's foolish. Why? You think your ways are better than his? You think his plans for your life are better? Are inadequate. And yours are better. Don't be foolish. What did he say? It will be done to you. As you desire. Why? Because she understood. God's plans and purposes. And submitted to his order. And immediately. What happens? End of verse 28. And her daughter was healed now when you look at that word was healed it's in the passive meaning something caused her daughter to be healed now it just wasn't the request she made that request earlier on in the text it was her faith and what does faith in this context tell us to do agree with god and if you agree Then you're going to submit. And her daughter was healed from that hour. Immediately. When you agree with God, when you submit to God, you're going to be amazed with how quick God moves in your life. But when you are rebellious, rebellious, when you want it your way, when you will not agree, when you will not submit... God, what did we learn? God is going to be silent. So you choose. You can either have a Lord and Savior that is silent in your life, non-responsive, or you can have a Lord and Savior that listens and will say to you, great is your faith. But it all depends upon one thing. Are you going to agree with God. Father, we thank you for this woman, for this woman of faith, this woman of submissiveness, this woman who embraced your plans, your order, your timing, and was blessed from it. God, indeed, you are perfect, and help us to walk with that knowledge that our Lord and Savior is indeed perfect, righteous, holy, and good. And we can find all of his blessings and experience all of his promises. But only if we are found in his will. In the good name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.